0: You're listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. We're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning through your favorite podcast provider, and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Bringing you the latest news, views, and abuse from across the United States, here's your hosts. And we're live. Welcome to the Earful of Dirt Major League Rugby Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We're back after a brief break for Thanksgiving. I'm Corey. I'm in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I'm joined by Aaron Castro in Arizona and Liam madigan Freed, recently relocated to Houston. How are you doing, guys?
1: How's your week? Or, I guess, how's your couple of weeks? Um, well, there's a lot of turkey, lots of adult beverages, lots <laughs> of her family, and I'm fat. <laughs>
2: yeah uh, i'm progressively getting fatter because uh grant cole's wife jen is an amazing cook and she's been actually you know feeding me uh, i had thanksgiving with grant and his family down here in texas which was a you know fun experience uh houston traffic is awful but other than that though i'm loving it
0: yeah well around here we kind of were hunkered down for two days watching the sky expecting a huge blizzard to descend on us and that never actually happened we uh we got no snow in the great winter storm of 2018, so I think Chicago got it pretty bad, but Cedar Rapids managed to miss it. Not a flake, so... Oh, uh, there's something... Before we get started, there's something I wanted to uh, take care of real quick. Oh, yeah. Just need to kind of throw this away. <laughs> All right. feeling much better now. Uh, so... For those of you new to the podcast, we're Earful of Dirt. Like I said earlier, we're a re- Major League Rugby podcast. We do this each Monday night live here on YouTube where we discuss news, rumors, and all the latest on MLR. If you uh, don't want to watch us, which why would you, um, you can always <laughs> take a listen. <laughs> we, uh, we do have uh, our weekly podcast audio version that's up every Wednesday morning. Uh, But this gives us a chance to check out the issues, hear from the league, players, and team leadership, and check in with our friends across the rugby scene. So, with all that said, Aaron, what do we have going on this week?
1: Well, uh, Eagles Tour Roundup, we're going to go into Romania since we uh, took a break last week. And then we'll cover Ireland and uh, some overall observations about where we are now. Uh, Canada punches their ticket to the 2019 Rugby World Cup, and that is extremely important, which I'll get into also as part of my commentary. Uh, MLR shows off their Season 2 kits, so we'll give you some hotter knots. Uh, And then um, Liam has a little preview uh, for the Sabah Cats versus the Austin Blacks.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Some nice exhibition action coming up there. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, so, uh, you know, the last couple of weeks have been a lot of highs and lows for uh, USA rugby fans. I'll tell you, uh, we started out. To, well, we were the third week of the test series was uh, to play some Bucharest, uh, Romania versus uh, the Romanian national team. And we took care of business there. Uh, that was November 17th. We beat uh, Romania 31 to five. And that extended our winning streak, the USA Eagles winning streak, to nine games at that point. So, uh, and then, of course, from there, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the Irish uh, match here coming up. But Aaron, you had some thoughts on uh, the Romania game.
1: Yeah, so, you know... When I was watching the match, I thought we played a very ugly match, but in years past, you know, normally when we play ugly, we usually lose ugly, and uh, that wasn't the case. Uh, Attack-wise, for the most part, we ran our attack pretty well, Uh, and... It, it, it was different because it was Ruben DeHaas' second start, and you really see what he did there from the Samoa match, and he's looking a lot more confident, and I think he will end up earning a bunch of senior time in the second half of the season for the Cheetahs. Uh, but, you know, uh, their attack got suffocated, uh, and their defense uh, got demolished. When Let's just look at the stats. Uh, Romania had no possession in the second half. Think about that.
2: That's really hard to do. Like, even at any level, like like, sometimes like, you know, even a knock on goes into your guys hands, like, you know, on luck and you get to run a few feet with it. Like that didn't even happen.
1: Yeah. I, this is where I, you know, when I looked at the stats and I sort of had to change my opinion about how we actually played because. Being able to control the ball for, let's say, I, I mean, I saw them have the ball, so but to the point where it it didn't even notch a percent in the second half, and to control the ball for eighty three percent to seventeen percent in this match says a lot about what we were able to do against Romania, uh, and you know, it's uh, was it uh. I think Alan Yarde of Austin in when he's talked about the way he wants to play is uh to never give up the ball. And in rugby union 15s you can never give up the ball if you desire provided you don't commit a knock-on or penalty. So and th- and that's what we did in the in the second half we uh didn't commit a lot of penalties. Or, uh and we scored a lot. Uh Overall, five tries to one. Their try was in the first half. Uh, That's a great ratio. Uh, Let's look at the tackles, and this one's going to be important because I'll also discuss this, uh, how we played against Ireland. So we had 178, or correction, Uh, Romania had 178 tackles. We had 94. Think about that. So basically all we did was we played some power rugby and we drove up their tackle rate and wrecked their fitness, uh, overall. Uh, and then we did a lot of cool things, a lot of kicks and chase, uh, with that lineup, Will McGee put the ball down. Marcel Brocky even put the ball down. Uh, Paula can put the ball down and that allows you to attack to attack downfield. Uh, We started also to see how efficient we can be against other Tier 2 countries and those ranked below us. It's going to be a question of how much can we raise our level consistently of of teams that are ranked above us.
2: Well, I kind of like that point, Aaron, because now that we're a Tier 2 nation and we're in the top 12, we have to expect to be winning games like this. Uh, Winning a game like this over Romania, a fellow Tier tier 2 team, uh, and especially by this margin and with the statistics that you mentioned, that bodes well, but again, you kind of like you kind of said we did win this game a little bit ugly, uh, especially in the first half. I know the statistics didn't exactly show that, um, but like as we discussed before, we went live. It wasn't. It still wasn't the prettiest of wins. So if we're going to keep on progressing, games like this have to get more fluid. They have to. We have to be able to abide by the basics, um, the fundamentals of rugby. Uh, sorry, um, and to, and to continue and to continue to win in a more pretty fashion uh if you will but right now i think we're on it we're on a good pace uh especially considering that we're at the highest ranking that we've ever been in and i think a game like this against romania um does wonders for our reputation around the world the result against Ireland, ireland notwithstanding
0: well i guess since you mentioned it we might as well uh move along to the second half of this uh two weekend window here um nine and one baby nine and one nine and one hell uh anywhere else in the world that would be that's a heck of a thing by itself okay so you know what i'm not hanging my head too low uh that we
1: got there was there was only one team that deserved team of the year that wasn't the eagles and we definitely got snubbed basically if you look at nominations for team of the year they if you're a tier two nation it, it doesn't count apparently um but uh, Ireland, one team of the year, and uh, you know their results speak for themselves. Grand Slam, win over the All Blacks, undefeated at home in the uh, in the Autumn Internationals. So and
2: Johnny Sexton's uh, award for Man of the Year is just the cherry on top of that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that is so. Yeah, I don't care so, what he says. Uh,
0: last Saturday, we traveled to Dublin uh, to take on the Irish. Um, We did lose that match, 55-14 to was the final. Um, I'll say I actually thought the first half went really well for the Eagles. I saw a lot to enjoy. Uh, It did hurt a lot when uh, Joe Tafete went down, and I think that, for me, that was really the turning point. Um, And honestly, about the 55-minute mark is where I started – kind of tuning out a little bit of the match and just being like, well, maybe I'm going to look at my phone now. Uh, <laughs> well, but uh, I don't know. What do you guys think?
2: Well, that that injury to Joe was sort of the black cherry on top of this game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, at, at in the end, this game really came down to fitness. The first three quarters of the first half, we really displayed what we've been doing well. We played good de- defense between the 22s. We were moving the ball. Uh, you know, at an acceptable pace against such a really good team, and we were we were able to put up points early. However, where fitness comes in is towards the end of the first half and the entire second half, we were making mistakes that we weren't supposed to be making as professional national team. We were committing knock-ons, we were getting in our own way. It it just didn't seem like we were playing rugby at an an acceptable tactical level uh, towards the second half. And that's really, that was really our downfall. That's why we weren't able to put enough points on the board in in the second half. And that's why we let the Irish wings walk all over us in the second half and put up as many points as they did because we simply weren't making the tackles and that's because we didn't have the energy. And that's what Ireland does so well is that they can outpace any opponent and they can continue to slam up the middle or uh, spread it wide to the outside and take advantage of any kind of weakness as a result of that lack of fitness.
1: Yeah, this was a, you know, a, a different one overall. Uh, it's, it's hard to judge this uh, depending on what the KPIs were. Because I remember sitting down uh, with Gary uh, in Houston for the Scotland match. And he, and he said, you know, winning was not on our KPIs. Uh, we had like, we're building towards a World Cup and the win was important against Scotland and a win would have here would have been significant. I I think we sort of knew uh, going in what we were going to face. Uh, I I think we would have been better off if Joe Schmidt wasn't nice to his players and played uh, the 23 that he fielded against the All Blacks because they were, they were, they were battered and busted and tired just like we were. You know, like we had a long tour and what he basically put out was a fresh side. There was only four guys on the roster that played the All Blacks that was on this roster and only one of them started. Uh, So, but it it definitely shows the depth of Irish rugby that uh, Joe Schmidt can call up what is basically a different, uh, a, a different squad completely from the previous week and then uh, run up 54 points uh, or 55 points rather. Um, for for me, I think we talked about this before the show. I, I didn't think we played a good first three quarters of the first half. I think I thought we played a good back three quarters of the first half because we, we were making tons of errors when it came to tackling, when it came to rucking, uh, when it came to ball handling in those first 10 minutes, uh, frenetic would sort of give you that kind of, uh, description, but we were tied, uh, in the, in the middle of that first half, 14 to 14. And you, you sort of felt the momentum shift when we earned that penalty try. Uh, but you know, it's something I've discussed with, with Gary a little bit here and there and Greg and some of the players, it's sort of finding the energy to step up our game, uh, when, we have the main advantage because more often than not, as we saw it against uh, teams that play at such a high level, like the Maori or uh, Ireland, they just play better with uh, even less players on the, on the pitch because they know that they have to tighten up their game. And, you know, when we closed it out and they scored 10 more points going in into the half, we probably played some in the middle 20 minutes, I think we played some of the best rugby that we have the ability to play right now. Um, and you you still felt that we acquitted ourselves well, uh, during that period. Uh, but we we talk about fitness and what that means and the ability to, to go on. And I thought we made some substitution errors. Uh, we we Samu Manoa has to play more than 13 minutes, like what he can do, that guy can go. Uh, 80 minutes at will here and there, right? Because we've seen it happen and only using him for 13 minutes. There has to be some fitness issues there. Uh, But in the second half, we made a lot of these errors in the first half and I'll that'll go into when we look at these stats. So the possession percentage, we had 36% of possession to 64% of possession Uh, meters made. We kind of got run over. Uh, 189 meters made to 655 meters made. And I'll tell you, there wasn't, ours had a lot of garbage. Theirs didn't have a lot of garbage. They spent a lot of time in r 22. Uh, And this is, you know, fatigue and how it gets set in. One of the things as part of their game plan, you know, we put out this big fast and, you know, for, for us a very skillful lineup and what did they do? uh they they had the same kind of lineup and they dictated the tempo, uh forcing us to tap make 233 tackles. We ended up missing 33 tackles. They, they had 33 defenders beaten. uh they had 17 to two clean line breaks. Uh, and you know how many tackles they made? because they had so much possession and uh they were fresh and how skillful what they were doing they attempted 101 tackles and completed 93. So ta- when you have to tackle that much, your 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 fatigue and your fitness is just going to get, it's going to get wrong. And, you know, uh, Joe Tafate uh, posted about this on Twitter, I think early this morning for us, but regular time for him because he's back in Worcester. And he pulled up the stats and he was like, you know, before I took a nap, it's funny because he – Before
2: he got knocked the fuck out? Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> well, for, for everyone that wants to know, uh, all, uh, all of his tests, uh, which I, I tweeted out this morning and posted uh, on our Facebook yesterday, all of his tests came back negative, so there's nothing wrong. Um, he's got a concussion and he'll be going through the concussion protocol back at Wooster. So, uh, you know, we may not see him, uh, until the ARC. And the reason why I say that is they might have him play, uh, a match or two to warm up, uh, so that he's can be, and then he'll be released back to the premiership. To be honest, we usually only get those guys for a few games, but yeah, uh, Joe Tefate was knocked out. Uh, he was making a tackle and, uh, Next thing you know, he's he's sprawled out there by himself away from the tap, away from where the ruck went and uh, the ref blows the whistle and he's he's down there for a while, but you know, all is well. Um moving on to passes, this is a very key statistic compared to Romania, and this shows what they what Ireland was doing and making us run around the pitch a lot. We had 95 passes, they had 268. Uh Wow, they for, you know, for being as forward dominant of a team as they are, they toss the rock around. Wow. Um, Rucks won. This is one of the things that we had a clear differential on against Romania and uh, some clear domination. We only won 69 rucks uh, and even a lot of those were questionable. Uh, They won 145. We turned the ball over. Uh, I saw what the turnover ratio was, and I was a bit surprised that it was so low because I felt that we lost a lot more rucks than this, and we gave up the ball a lot more. But, you know, when you get dominated at the rucks, sometimes they commit a penalty and you keep the ball.
2: And honestly, I think it was more so that a lot of those turnovers were in, like, the groaning kind of moments where it wasn't something that was consistent. um, That was a consistent problem. But I think it was more so happening in moments where you're like, just get out of of your own fucking way, man. Just make the fucking
1: catch. Oh, and and we saw that. And this is where, you know, uh, commentary before the game and sort of uh, as we saw how much box kicking we were doing against Samoa and Romania, although we executed very well in our box kicking there, uh, Sean and even Ruben De Haas did not execute our box kicks that well. Uh, we weren't able to provide a stable platform at the ruck for them to get those off, and you just had an Ireland forward just leaking through the block, which you know created those turnovers. Um, when you look at the our set piece, uh, we were actually very good on our lineouts. We were five for five, and this sort of talks into like. We only had five lineouts. We need more of those because and we had
2: we had two legitimate steals that I at least counted. Uh, yeah, within yeah. The so, entire game. That creates uh, possession, and that's the kind of thing that we need so, to put up points against. So we
1: were five team. for five for lineouts, and I think we had three. Uh, I didn't. I need to re go through those stats. Uh, we had three steals, and they had a lot more lineouts than we did. Uh, we we converted. Uh, we were successful on three of our four malls. Uh, and you know, back to like the set piece. Did you, did, I hope everyone saw that penalty try off the mall, right? Just, just making sure. Uh, so, so, so that shows you really how efficient and how dominant our set piece can be that we can earn a penalty try against someone like Ireland, uh, scrummaging. We were six of seven, uh, which says a lot considering, especially in the second half when Dylan Fawcett had to come on uh, and you, we ended up having a, a scrum reset. Uh, and I think it was about eight times and that was more, I think uh, I saw some commentary and I, it was definitely a rough issue. Uh, we, the Belem the tight head prop was basically boring in on Dylan Fawcett the entire time. And that's, uh, you know, a different, Dylan's a lot smaller than Joe is and you know, people have said a lot about like TV, and I know Grant's talked about footwork and you know, the giveaway to see that bore is going to be the footwork, but where the ref was, he could have seen it easily because he was on that side more than a few times to see that. And he just never called it. And I think that's a tier two versus tier one issue. I'm straight up saying it because it was pretty blatant, at least from my foxhole while watching on a 55 inch TV.
2: Well, Just. well, you know, obviously obviously the scrum isn't exactly where Dylan Fawcett shines. It's more so his his ability in open play as a hooker and the responsibilities that come with that. However, you know, not to say that the injury to Joe was good timing at all because it's a horrible injury, but I think the point that Dylan came on was as good as time as any because we actually need to create a little bit more offense and I think that's where Dylan's best abilities lie rather than within the actual scrum. I
1: well, I, as a scrummager, uh, he's not a bad scrummager. What what could he have done against a, a – he really couldn't do anything if a tight head is going to be out of position and bore in on him. That's not something that is his fault. Uh, I'm not blaming him for – it's just because he is a little – he's a bit smaller than Joe is. Uh, Bielam was able to get away with it, if that makes sense, exactly. because the ref didn't penalize him. Um and then you, you know what you just mentioned what what Dylan does. His work rate around the park, pretty good. He was in he was probably in every single ruck from he, the moment he came on.
2: Exactly. He's around the ball constantly. He's going to be making that difference. And you know, and whether or not that difference is within the scrum or an open play. You need somebody like that who's actually going to affect the game whenever they're on the field. I think Rooney has a really good, uh, you know, has a really good option with him starting uh, this season. And I think the USA made a really good choice in bringing him onto this roster and actually getting him that experience with getting a cap against against a team like Ireland. I think Fawcett's ceiling is huge, but again, I think he actually has to improve within the pack and you know continue to do what he's doing in open play.
0: So before we move on, um, one of the questions that was bouncing around this week uh, up on Reddit was whether USA, now being 12th place in the world, uh, should be we should start talking about Tier 1 status.
1: Um, no. So that's a complicated and convoluted issue, um, so, but Fiji isn't a Tier 1 team, and neither are we. Uh, right now, who is considered a Tier 1 team has nothing to do with on-field status. Uh, it has everything to do with your annual budget and the closest union to moving towards tier one status right now is Japan. Uh, and they probably will get it after this world cup, to be honest. Uh, the last number that was codified was an annual budget of 20 million pounds per year. And you can't just have that one year. You have to have that over a measured period of time. Once you can show that, Hey, you have 20 million pounds, which equates to like 24, $25 million a year right now. Then, uh, it shows that you're stable and you're able to move up. Our budget, depending on the year is, uh, between 13 and $16 million right now. So we're close, but our books are not good to go. Um, I don't think – I think I I said this to DJ Coyle. Um, I was like, I don't think a union that is going through a bailout slash loan guarantee from World Rugby right now is able to clamor to be Tier 1. That makes sense.
2: No, it makes makes perfect sense, and especially if we want to actually – continue to work towards uh, you know, the tier one distinction. We have to crawl before we walk. And I think making promises and writing checks that we're just not prepared to do consistently, it's, it, it's RIM or it's PRO waiting to happen all over again in that context.
0: Very good. Well, thank you for addressing that. I know it's something that folks have been talking about. And I think the U.S. has a lot to – we have a lot to be proud of after a very, very successful 10-game uh, run. And – so yeah, we should be talking about next steps, and I think the next few years coming out of the next World Cup is going to be a very interesting time for Team USA. So,
1: you know, some one of the things to to go about that is I, I need to we I guess we all need to send some notes uh, to to the boys, but I sent some notes to uh, to Gary uh, today and to Greg McWilliams, and I said, you know, what they've been able to do. With this player group, because the player group is a significant portion of this. I would say about 70%. They get it. They're the ones getting it done on the field. And then the coaching staff just puts them in position to get it done. I said, hey, thank you for for this, this staff. I mean, they're the ones that have kept the drama out. Because the players all know the issues that surround the union and the staff has kept them focused and the, and the leadership and the leadership group within the, within that player group, Blaine Scully, uh, who's also, I think he's president of the US RPA. He's a founding member of the US RPA. So he's currently driving the U S United States rugby players association so that they can make sure that they get a fair shake from the union as they play and probably eventually the MLR when things stabilize. Uh, but we sort of we had a perfect storm where we ended up with Gary Gold as our head coach and Sean Pittman was assigned as forwards coach and Greg uh, McWilliams, who had been in the system as an, an under-20 coach and collegiate All-Americans coach, that, hey, they got promoted. And it, it has worked out. Um, and I was just, hey, thank you for doing a job. And uh, and so, these guys deserve our support. Uh, the 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 boys like the eagles themselves. I you know I know too many of them now. I, it's like uh, from you know Sean Davies, Will McGee, Blaine, Joe, Dylan, uh, TD, Hanko, Tony Lamborn, Cam Dolan. Like yeah. you can name the whole squad. So popular. <laughs> you can, I mean, you we can just name the whole squad. Like these guys have put in the work to go nine and one in test matches, and ten and two overall this season. And they're, although they may feel a little pissed about what happened uh, against Ireland, uh, well, they've earned t- to be ranked twelve in the world. Like they, like they have had a great year, but. That is a foundation to build upon in 2019, not resting on laurels. Speaking of building, this might
0: be the perfect opportunity to talk a little bit about uh, a team that is having some success, um, additional success. Uh, That's a terrible transition. Okay, moving on. Canada. Hey, congratulations, guys. Uh, Canada won three matches in a row. They cleared out their repertoire <coughs> and are heading to the World Cup. So congratulations. Great for you guys. I am just so, so pleased to see that. Basically, uh, what happened is they had three matches in a row, all played in France. Um, to win those three matches, they went 65-19 to 19 over Kenya. Twenty-nine to ten over Germany. That was the closest out of the three, and then uh, forty-three to six over Hong Kong. That puts them into Pool B for the World Cup uh, next year, where they're going to face Italy, Nambia, uh, N- Namibia, Namibia. I'm sorry, Namibia, N-b- Yeah, Namibia. Uh, New <laughs> Zealand and South Africa. <laughs> Namibia. I don't think that's a so, place.
2: Uh, are those teams good? Is, is are New Zealand and South Africa? Are are, are they competitive?
0: I think New Zealand's uh, really an up-and-coming act. Um, I've been hearing some <laughs> a little bit of buzz about them lately.
2: Yeah, but no. On, on the real though, I'm really, <coughs> I'm really excited at the fact that Canada is going into a pool with New with with South Africa and New Zealand because those two teams are going to get tons of exposure, especially when it comes to the television audience, and that's going to bring more attention to the North American rugby market. And which means the more exposure, the more rugby players, uh, you know, especially the lower tier rugby pl- uh, players in those countries are going to hear about our league there. Uh, Cause obviously the commentators are going to be talking about it. It's exposure for the MLR and the more people are, are going to want to come over here and just add to our pool. So it's great that a North American team is going up against, you know, two world cup. I don't want to call South Africa a favorite, but two world cup legitimate contenders. You, you know, uh,
1: congratulations to Canada. Uh, I remember I was I was talking to Mark Whittaker last uh, two weeks ago, and he was like, um, d- "Are you sure you you want Canada to to win and get out of the reprochage? You you seem to be about Germany." And I was like, "Well, I think Germany going to beat you," which I was completely wrong um, in that uh, call. But it it for a moment it, it looked like it, and but like. In the Germany match against Hong Kong, uh, the fitness and the experience and the talent of Canada took over, especially in the second half of both matches, even though the uh, I put way too much confidence in the German set piece to uh, get things done in that match against Canada. Uh, but it, it is better for us, um, for them to be there, uh, one of the things that we talk about in this is a rising tide raises all boats. So, Canada being in the World Cup will make the US better because that will focus so much more media exposure internationally on North America. Because, as Liam, you just talked about the pool they're in, the pool are, we're in will get a ton of media exposure as well, with which we have Argentina tonga but here's some huge markets i think um, i think england and france are in our pool yeah so two yeah. huge so so the amount of like free exposure that major league rugby will get from world rugby films it's sort of like nfl films but it's for rugby uh is, is gonna be huge and it will help the league grow in notoriety and maybe uh we won't have commentators calling it uh, uh, a not a proper league. I think is what he, uh,
2: not not, not, Jack, not a proper side. You can't play Wales without a proper side.
1: Yeah, you know something something Beyond, like, like that.
2: Yeah, in Wales, you know that's that's what I
1: um, think. So you know, you'd think that coaches who have a game the next day wouldn't be in the booth, but that's just me. Um, for Canada, uh, you know. That, that experience just took over. Uh, the back line just did what it does. And DTH, he just does what he does, man. <laughs> Sometimes when you think he's he's just not going to do something, he just does it. So,
2: and let, uh, let's, not, let's not forget about that really underrated uh, front row of Canada where you got Hubert Bidens, Ray Barkwell, and Tierney. You know, uh, Bidens and Barkwell, they're kind of on the back nine of their career. This, this is probably legitimately going to be their last uh, Rugby World Cup. But still, you have two guys coming in with tons of experience for the younger guys. And you know, when we talk about wanting to get exposure for North America, those are two you know, semi-marketable names uh, for the North American continent who are going to be going over there for one last go-about for so the if
1: World I'm Cup. Gonna, if I'm going to stick a nail in, in the hand of Kingsley Jones for this one, is you either need to develop another hooker or you need to play Eric Coward. Uh, because it looks like Benoit Piffero is gone. Like he ain't. From what I, what you can, what we can see so far, he ain't coming back. Because he's just. I guess he's just not healthy. From what I can tell. Maybe I'm wrong, but he hasn't been back in the side. And you've continuously selected Eric Howard into camp, but you aren't using him. And he is younger. He's fitter. Maybe his line out throw sucks a little bit, but you work on that in practice. But you're gonna need another hooker. Just another one, and he happens to be the one on your on your sheet. Use him because Ray's almost thirty nine, uh, so he can he can probably put in you know a seventy five minute shift against uh, Kenya. But is he going to be able to put a seventy five minute shift against New Zealand and South Africa? Probably not.
2: Well, kind of like I said, I think, you know, Ray is one of those locker room presences uh, in terms of or veteran presences that you want on the team more so, especially going to, into something like the World Cup with somebody as young as Eric Howard. Uh, yeah, but again, he's 39. He's probably not going to be an 80-minute man for very much longer. So, you know, it's it's probably better that Canada develop a system, develop another hooker to make sure that they can get through 80 minutes with a legitimate and, you know, a competent front row, especially with somebody like Biden's and uh, tyranny on either side.
1: Uh, well, and Biden's is thirty-seven, so they need to they need to develop another loose head too.
2: Yeah, but I'm like you know that hair though it's it's a presence.
1: <laughs> the beard and the, the beard the, and the, the hair
2: just hair are the most marketable things on that team. You know, I, I know. <laughs> Sorry, Ray. Sorry, Ray. <laughs> hey,
1: i I mean, I'm going bald too. So uh, I wish I had his hair, but uh, I guess we're on, on to the next one.
0: On to the next one. Kits. 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 All kinds of kits. Yeah, so uh, MLR teams uh, put out their 2019 kits last week. Uh, I'm not sure what to say about this one, guys. Uh, I guess uh, one of you – Liam, you you just finished up a fashion degree, right? Um, English degree.
2: Thank you. With Sorry.
1: That is that is like fashion-ish,
2: fashionista. You know what my fashion was during college? It was sweatpants. It was this exact sweatshirt. And it was me just curled up in the library waiting for the sweet embrace of death. That was my fashion in college. <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about MLR, I really want to talk about the NOLA gold because, oh, my God, is that shit sexy. They've got, you know, it's kind of be a, like a fading out stripe down the middle. Um, you know, it's this great color scheme, obviously. Go gold. Uh, but one thing i want to ask though is what happened to this the san diego uniforms with the cool ass decal from last year uh, i think they dropped that into a favor of something a little bit more traditional
1: so there's more than a few teams that uh that took some elves for me uh the legion away kit last year was awesome the legion i know some people don't like the legion home kit but i didn't like that legion home kit last year because it made me think of Saracens and they're not Saracens, uh, <laughs> they're somebody else. But the Legion home kit this year is just kind of blase. Uh, so Utah, both of them step back. because uh, the if you saw the gray and you saw the, the black, it was a sublimated face of the warrior em- of the warrior shield which is pretty awesome i have to say uh so i th- i think those are love the face last season the wins for me were uh the raptors home the seattle away uh both both kits for austin are a significant upgrade uh i saw houston's back in july and i liked those houston's uh, as well they're classy, they're classy. So um uh, there you go.
2: Yeah, well I and I also think a fair point to make is nothing could be uglier than those yellow striped Glendale uniforms from last year. I don't know what you know C minus designer thought that was going to be a good good idea but glad that they're going to move in a different direction.
0: Now one of the problems uh I know we ran into last year or at least I noticed on a few matches were when home and away kits uh for opposing teams would look basically identical and i noticed that there's going to be a few of those matchups this year especially in the white uh, whites and uh reds categories uh, do you think there's going to be uh
1: anything done to address those issues uh this time around i mean th- it's pretty simple if your team manager if your kit manager which is probably your team manager here because you know staffs are pretty small um but if your kit manager can't go you know they—they're wearing red at home. We should probably bring the black jerseys this week instead of oh, conflicts. Utah away jersey, and you and San Diego home jersey. Oh, there we go. I already, I already, I already fixed it for you. Utah, you're taking your home kit to San Diego. There you, you go. It's already so- done. It's already done. That's simple. You'd think it'd be that, that simple, but at the same time, I've seen
2: NFL games where that's like still a problem. So uh-huh. I don't know. I think I feel like people are gonna wear what they're gonna wear.
1: Yeah, and then I guess you've got the the away whites for. Well, I mean, if if you're gonna if you're gonna go from San Diego to New Orleans, they said they're wearing white at home, so uh, you just bring the reds. Another 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 simple one done. Dumb.
2: Which is dumb, though. Or
1: since the plane flight is usually on Thursday night, you uh, just get on the phone because both kits should be clean, and you just grab the bag that has the one color. You just get on the phone. You say, "Hey, uh, what kit are you guys wearing this weekend?" Oh, blue. Got it.
2: Click. All right, we will wear the opposite of blue, but no, it's never that fucking simple. Welcome to MLR. <laughs> yeah,
1: so there we go. Um, yeah, so uh, I, it should be easy to figure out, but that's just me.
0: My, my one observation on kits was uh, that Toronto has a almost completely white kit. Uh, I can't remember if it's home or away. And I'm thinking that might be kind of a bid on their part to uh, disappear into the frozen white tundra of the north, uh, just just as an advantage for their team. You know, I to become one with the snow.
1: Still, I think it's still going to be wintry when they play Glendale. So, uh, in, in in Glendale, so they're just going to wear white. And uh, yeah.
2: Hopefully fade away. I I still maintain my opinion though that the new Toronto logo, uh, having switched from the Ontario Arrows to Toronto, it looks like the logo of a summer camp. There's just something <coughs> about it that's just not professional, and I don't maybe, like. That. I want to be on the record saying that.
1: Maybe they have a lot of summer camps in Toronto. Maybe they're, maybe they're, you know, trying to hit up that market for people to buy tickets.
0: Well, the Ontario symbol made them look like they were a member of Starfleet, so I'm not sure that's better.
2: I'd rather I'd rather be a part of Starfleet than you know in the next shitty sequel to you know White Hot American Summer. You know, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> oh, hey guys, were there any transactions this week?
2: Oh, you know there might have been a few there, guy. But uh, so right here on my list, uh, I got I got Alex mcdonald coming in for a lock uh to rooney to uh, uh to add a little bit of power to that scrum that they got going there uh same thing in houston where they got luke bocamp uh coming in at flanker uh you know gotta love those flankers uh he's a he's a guy with like, a lot of attack uh with a lot of tackling ability uh who could perhaps fix uh, some of those defensive problems that houston saw uh last year and then finally i got sean riley uh, who's going down to nola to uh, help a little bit out on that attack on the wing and uh, we're going to see how Coach Osborne handles him and can get him opportunities with the ball. Aaron, who the hell do you have?
1: All right, uh, so this is you know one of the things I've been talking about, and the Sabercats are, are starting to do that, is building out a full coaching staff. Uh, they now have four coaches for the senior side. Uh, the newest addition is Neil Kelly. Sabercats defense coach. If uh, anyone has taken the time, like I have, to look at his background, um, you know, he's coached all over the place in rugby league. Uh, he was the head coach of the Welsh rugby league team a long, long time ago. So that's uh, pretty intense. So he has international experience as a head coach. Uh, they played five games and won one and lost four and it's probably almost impossible to really draw that well during that period of time because, well, Wales isn't really a big rugby league territory, so really nothing to take from there. But extremely successful as a head coach and assistant as a, in, in professional league uh, from the Dewsbury Rams, Wigan Vikings, Lee Centurions, and most recently Dewsbury Rams again. Uh, in union, though, which is the important part, he has been a defense coach. Uh, at Ulster Rugby from, for four years, 04 to 08, uh, at Doncaster in 2010. And then uh, where he's been most recently is Namibia in 2011. And after that, he was most recently the defense coach for Romania uh, on the last staff. Looks like they
2: could have used him uh, a few weeks ago there in Romania, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, things things sort of happen. So, um, rugby league guy, rugby league guys are known for, you know, being defense coaches in union. Um, and you're bringing in a high level defense coach, which is going to be important as, uh, things go forward. Uh, I am a big proponent of, you know, bigger coaching staffs because I think I talked about it the other day, uh, eight, about eight guys, is what I think we need here in the United States, as far as technical coaches overall, because there's just, we've got a lot of really raw rugby players and it's, it's better if you have a front row coach and a back row coach and an attack coach that just worries about attack and coaching attack. And then a defense coach that just worries about coaching defense. And then you have a a backs coach and a halfbacks coach to do all that stuff. And then a head coach, of course, but that's just me. And, uh, I have a sometimes a minority opinion.
0: Wait, are you telling me that you've had opinions that others have not agreed with?
1: Uh, I think that happens like every day. <laughs> <laughs> Just go on Twitter
2: and check his freaking tweets and replies. You'll see a whole goddamn resume of people who don't fucking agree with
0: Eric. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Appreciate the
2: thanks. I think you know who the president is. There, huh? <coughs>
1: The The cough. That was so good.
0: Oh golly. So uh, one of the things we love doing here is taking questions from Bob. These are questions we collect from our Reddit page. Uh, you can find that over at reddit.com slash R slash ML rugby. Uh, come join join the thousands of other MLR fans and talking about the game. So
2: and you will get to see some of my spicy memes.
0: And check out Liam's spicy memes that are always just oh so fun. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, first, starting us off this week, we've got Charlie Mellon, Mallon Malon, Anyway, Charlie wants to know, uh, what would it take to start an MLR franchise?
1: Um, so I, I sort of did a lot of beer math. It wasn't really beer math. It's sort of taking some of the franchises and looking at, what they got. So, uh, you know, let's say Houston or San Diego, for an example, let's say, uh, you need $10 million, uh, liquid to run a franchise for at least three years. And then, uh, if you're doing this correct, you've got, uh, another 20 to 30 million in assets to back up that investment. Just, just for that, that doesn't mean I'm not talking about whatever else you have or whatever else the ownership group is, but that's the kind of commitment that will show will make your team successful, based on all of the conversations that I've had across the league. What is the buy-in for twenty twenty? Mm-hmm. I I don't know, mill mill and a half, maybe three. Who I mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of numbers. I heard a lot of numbers for twenty nineteen, and uh, you know the uh, it's pretty secret.
2: Yeah, yeah and I. I- I think a pretty important thing is to say too is that you have to be within a market that the league is going to find uh, interesting or you know c- can foresee like uh, there being some profit to be made.
1: I think I think if you're not in a target market, you need to have a lot of money.
2: Yeah, you know, like there, there's been a lot of talk about a team coming to O'Bets or a team uh, going to Cleveland or something like that. You know, Cleveland, Cleveland's another story. You know, you got the Rugby City podcast, which I totally recommend people uh, you know checking out. But it's I, it, it's, it's a market that I don't think is as oriented uh, towards rugby as a few others could be, like, as opposed to Atlanta, which I think is a hotbed of Southern rugby down there. So I think the league would seize uh, you know, sees a place like Atlanta as being better as opposed to Cleveland. Um, a team isn't going to go in obets. Um, You know, I might be wrong. And the, some people might want to chew me out on Twitter over that, but I don't see that ever going to come to fruition, especially now that we know that Tiger rugby is, is a, is a heavily invested within the Atlanta team. Uh, So, yeah, market is everything, um, which is why they brought a team to Boston and to New York um, and maybe why the Minneapolis uh, team fell through uh, other than the ownership group moving to San Diego.
0: All right. Proton Warrior asks, any chance of Florida being a prospect for a franchise? Kind of related to this last conversation. Florida.
2: Oh, my mic was on. You
1: know, Proton Warrior, Florida. Uh, yeah, uh, apparently the French like it. I don't know. Um, I've, I've heard some rumors and they've all been about French people working in Florida, uh, trying to see what they could do. One of them was fake and one of them is not fake. If you see them out there, uh, the one that is connected to some guy who used to play for Bordeaux is fake. Uh, that I can tell you. Um, but who wouldn't want to play in Miami?
2: Well, I mean, one, uh, Miami's not going to be there in 20 years. Global warming's going to see to that. Um, two, I don't know. I just, I, I personally haven't heard about a ton of rugby, um, especially at the D1 men elites level, uh, being prominent down in Miami. You know, I don't, when was the last time that you saw a club, uh, make it to the, to the D1 playoffs, uh, coming out of Florida?
1: Well, there is no D1 rugby in Florida.
2: Yeah. So essentially why, what, what pool are you going to be taking from in Florida? That's not player that that's not prominent players from other parts of the country. You know, like, like, at least like with Boston, you'd have mystic river and the Wolfhounds. Uh, that's a local talent pool to pull from. Like, are you going to be able to feel the competitive side within an exhibition season coming out of Miami or a Tallahassee or God forbid, fricking
1: Jacksonville? Uh, yeah, oh. it's, it's gotta be Miami. It's, that's I mean, otherwise if it, all right. Yeah. I'm if it's Miami, we're we're taking the pot on the road. If it's oh,
2: not. Yeah. Oh, oh. oh, yeah.
1: If it's not, then I, I don't know.
2: Uh, maybe do we, we even need a team in Miami? Can we not just do an episode like from the beach? Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't need a lot of reasons to not go to Miami. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. Is there good Wi-Fi on the beach? It depends on where you're at, but yeah, you know. So. <laughs> I mean, Santa Monica
2: had Wi-Fi on the beach. I know that. That was pretty cool. Uh, in Boston, the Boston Commons have uh, Wi-Fi, like you know, just freaking emanating from the trees, or like you know, I don't know where the hell it's coming from, but you can get it.
0: All right, moving along. V Wolf, not the Wolf. V Wolf wants to know. Is Rugby United New York the worst professional sports team name in North America?
2: Um, uh, no, the Columbus Crew, Sporting Kansas City. Uh, fuck, like.
1: Okay. Uh, Real Salt Lake. Uh, yeah, that's so Real, so Real is something to signify, you know, Royal. And uh, the El Camino Real was the royal road in in California, and that's what you like sort of gave that designation. Uh, although like Utah was part of a Spanish colony, there wasn't much there that got a a real designation by the Spanish crown. So yeah,
0: I uh, I I would put my uh, my worst on uh, Utah Jazz.
1: There is actually. That actually makes more sense than Real Salt Lake. There is a very big jazz scene, surprisingly.
2: You, you, you realize that in, that's not why they called the Utah Jazz,
1: though. That they yeah, used be because the, they used to be the New Orleans Jazz, except that it sort of fit the scene. So,
0: I just don't think of you know Salt Lake City as being a, a jazz hub of America.
1: Well, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, most people don't uh because like skiing and stuff right <laughs> yeah uh
2: well no i just like to say that i'm glad that the free jacks are avoiding uh, a lot of mention in this conversation because i think i think people are starting to catch on to that name i think people are liking it whether they like to admit it or not
0: i think we've accepted it i don't know if we like it
2: <laughs> Jackson,
0: baby. Jackson. See... <laughs> oh gosh okay uh three fridge 307 are we expecting any rules changes next season any rules the hosts would like to see changed
1: uh who wants a power try okay no one Uh, Uh, i I, um, I,
2: want to see overtime i hate ties uh so we were lucky to avoid any ties last season but no pro did right
1: so i would say uh well all your rule changes have to be approved by world rugby because all the rule changes that are implemented but uh I don't like ties or draws as as we say um, so a single uh, a five minute period of overtime would be nice um, and we can go straight NFL uh sudden death and then uh, if you get past the five minute period there's your draw i think that works or maybe two five minute periods i don't know but sudden death is what I would go with.
2: That would work for me, or you know, uh, a shootout, but with penalty kicks. I want to see that.
1: <laughs> well, I think uh, that's you get pe- a penalty. I think maybe I'll get fact checked by uh, a coach who's watching. But I think penalty kicks uh, goes into uh, goes into tournament stuff uh, in the World Cup uh, at a certain juncture. There are penalty kicks to. I think not to look it up. I might be talking out of my butt, but you know. I know. Yeah. All right. Well, um, on our way
0: out, Liam. I know you wanted to take a minute and talk about uh, upcoming exhibition match with the SaberCats taking on uh, the Austin Blacks. Is it?
2: Yep, the Austin Blacks. So this is one of the uh, first uh, exhibition games coming into the MLR season. Now, talking to SaberCat coaches, they were a little bit, uh, or at least one was a little bit hesitant to call this a uh, you know a, a SaberCat match. However, what's really cool about this match is that it's a great combination of players who you know are going to be, uh, you know, staple starters such as uh, Zach Pangilinan and Con- Connor Murphy. But we're also going to get to see a plethora of uh, Houston, uh, of West Houston Lions players uh, make it onto the field, so that uh, Coach Fitzpatrick can see what he has in terms of the newer generation. Uh, two of those names um, that people should definitely uh, be looking out for in the future. Irving Carcamo and uh, Darrell Williams, two, two guys that can really attack the uh, that can really attack the defense. Uh Darrell Williams in particular. He had a great game uh last week in which he had an interception and a try uh at the very same time. Uh these so this game is really all about the future of the SaberCats, and it's not just a uh, a knockoff game for the Rust on players like Murphy and Pangelin and uh, this is really going to be about what do the Sabercats have moving forward. And I think a team like the Blacks, who are one of the most dominant teams in the Red River Conference, is, the, is definitely uh, the kind of setting in which to do this. It's only a two-hour drive from Houston, um, and it's going to be some really competitive rugby.
0: Excellent, excellent. Well, we'll look forward to that one. Do you know if there's any broadcast uh, coming up on that one?
2: No, um, I, I, I will try to live tweet it, but unfortunately uh, I might be, well, not unfortunately, I like doing it, but uh, I think I'm going to be filming the game, uh, for coaches footage. But, uh, if not, I'll, I will try to be, uh, uh, sending out some live tweets for people to follow. You can catch me on Twitter at Poacher Tundra.
1: can definitely tweet per quarter. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you guys will be left to run the ship next week. Uh, but uh before I get into that, uh a quote from the great Paul Emmerich about Neil Kelly. <laughs> it's great to have a defensive specialist in the building.
2: Yeah, I walked into his bedroom and was just like, yo, or then no, I was like I was like sitting on the couch near him, and I was like, yo, Paul, do you have anything to say about Neil Kelly? And he was like, eh? Great to have a defensive guy in the building. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Everyone, <laughs> Everyone else does offense, does offense. <laughs> 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 uh, but uh, as I said, um, I am going hunting next week. Uh, you know, not every day you can get a bull tag for elk, so I'm gonna go that get that. And if things work out, I'll be bringing back about 200 pounds worth of game meat uh, in a couple weeks, uh, because I not going to be near my house, so I can't do it in the backyard. So I'll drop it off at a butcher up there in the mountains, and come back. And you know, if anyone wants to have some elk steaks, you can uh, give me a holler and come down to Arizona, and we'll we'll grill out and mm-hmm. be merry.
2: Well, I at least uh, I cut the distance between you and myself in half uh, with the most recent move, so that's uh looking like a possibility there. <laughs>
0: Excellent. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, I guess that wraps it up for us. I appreciate everyone who's been listening for tuning in this week. Uh, Once again, we are Earful of Dirt. We do this every Monday night uh, here on YouTube, and we have our podcast, the audio version, up every Wednesday morning. If you like what we do, please subscribe to us on our YouTube channel as well as our uh, iTunes feed that helps folks discover what we're doing, other folks, uh, and be sure to share your own news, views, and abuse with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All right. Until next time, for Liam, Aaron, and me, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Aaron, be safe. Don't uh, shoot yourself in the foot or anything. And uh, we'll catch – well, Liam, I'll catch you next week.
2: Hell, yeah. I'll see you
0: then. Take care, guys. Peace. Thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. We're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning through your favorite podcast provider, and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube and like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can share your thoughts with us via our voicemail by calling 720 600 2679 live again next Monday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. We'll see you then.